encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the Gospel of John, the first chapter, chapter 9, verse 13. I don't know if you caught this, but I did say 365 years of the day. So just, there are 365 days in a year. So, uh, so if you caught that, I, I do want to clarify that. So John chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. There's so much to love about the Christmas season, isn't it? There's so much to celebrate as we gather together that, that draws our hearts back to uh, those early days and early memories that we have, whether it's putting up a Christmas tree, whether it's the lights that you decorate your house with, maybe the stockings that you hang. There's no doubt that the very uh, decorations that are in our sanctuary draw us to the beauty of our God and help us to, to worship and to thank him for the beauty and the intricacies of, of this very season. Uh, some of the music that galvanizes our hearts, the songs that we sing from Thanksgiving through Christmas, some of which we have sung this very morning, help us to behold him and to worship him, right? Uh, what about even the movies of the season? I would imagine that every family that is here, every individual has some kind of, of movie uh, experience that you're going to come back to every year. Maybe some of the timeless classics of the Christmas season. My family and I, we, we watch It's a Wonderful Life every year. We watch some of the other classics of, of, of the Christmas season, from the, from the Grinch to uh, the White Christmas, Miracle on 34th Street, and even Santa Claus 2, Tim Allen's Santa Claus 2, timeless classic right there. So well, we watch it, and you have your movies that are a part of your family traditions, but Every family, as you get together, one of the highlights is going to be the giving and the receiving of gifts. There's is something special about that, and it's one of the things that we love about the season. It represents, does it not, the very greatest gift that is given to us. But I imagine that you would be hard-pressed if I asked you to identify all the gifts that you received 10 years ago. You remember what they are? You hold them as precious? Well, of course not. Uh, some of them had a, a, a time-bound shelf life. Uh, some of them are perishable. Some of them are, are long digested. Some of them uh, are forgotten about. Some of them were given away. Some of them were put in the trash. Uh, there's some heirlooms I'm sure that you received at Christmas, but many of the gifts that we have are, are time-bound and time-stamped for a moment or for weeks or for months at the best, and they begin to gather dust and be forgotten about. But the gift that we celebrate at Christmas is the gift of Jesus that uh, never goes out of style, that, that, that never expires. It's a gift that uh, makes all the human gifts that we give and receive pale in comparison, no doubt. It's the gift that is spoken about. In John chapter 1, verse 9, we read, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world, he was in the world, John tells us. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become, do you see that? Children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There are two truths this Advent season that I want you to see from this very scripture passage. The first truth is the tragedy of spiritual rejection. You see it in verses 9 through 11. We're reminded once again in this passage of John's gospel, the first chapter, that Jesus enters into the pages of human history with a definite mission, a mission to bring light. As we read in verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, has come into the world. 
And what we celebrate at Christmas is the author of the universe becomes the central subject of his own story with a definite mission to rescue us from the darkness of this world, but also the darkness that encroaches upon our own human heart. Jesus would take this very title upon himself. In John chapter 8, verse 12, we read, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the true light has entered into the darkness of our world and gives light to everyone. But it is important for you to know everyone doesn't receive that light. There's some that shield themselves from the light. There are others who turn their heart and their mind from the light. There are others that flee the light and they embrace the darkness. That's true now and it was true then. Verse 10 tells us that those two different categories, the world who rejects the light, the religious leaders who reject the light. Notice that the world rejects Jesus as creator. Verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. John is reminding us here in this passage that the world is not the result of a cosmic accident, an accident that is devoid of purpose and devoid of meaning. What John is telling us that when we behold the canvas of creation, it points us back in its beauty and its intricacy, its design and its order. It points us back to what is behind the canvas, the creator, the divine painter. In 1961, Soviet cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin is the first man into space. He comes back at the premier Khrushchev said, the premier of Soviet Union says, Gagarin went into space and he didn't see God anywhere. End of story. There isn't a God. We have been outside of our very earth and we did not behold God in the space of his creation there. And in his mind, not seeing God was a proof that God did not exist. But what, we're, what he's saying in some respects is it's almost as if you go to your shelf and you pull out a Christmas carol, Charles Dickens' classic, expecting that on page six or page seven that Dickens himself is going to emerge out of the pages of his own story. An author is not beholden to his creation. We can see the handiwork and the brushstrokes, understanding that God, the infinite creator, is not confined by his creation. Not, not all see that, not all saw that clearly 2,000 years ago, and of course, not all see around us in the beauty and the order and the intricacy of creation and behold an infinite God behind it. But I would say it takes a lot of faith. It takes a lot of faith to look around at the evidence of creation and to say with the evidence that is before us that the universe spontaneously came into being simply by a random accident. That love and joy and beauty, all that you experience is just the product of random chance. Does it take more faith to believe all that you experience is simply the random accident of cosmic chance or that you're intricately woven by a divine creator? What takes more faith? 
What takes more faith to believe? In this passage here, we see that the world rejects Jesus as creator. Do you? But also in this passage, we see that the world uh, not only rejects Jesus as creator, but the religious leaders rejected Jesus as the Messiah. It's interesting in this passage here, we read verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. We're reminded in this passage that the religious leaders of Jesus' day rejected Jesus. They crucified Jesus. They sentenced Jesus to death for blasphemous talk. That he claimed to be the very son of God. That he forgave sins. They said, no, it cannot be. Tearing their clothes. And this expression of outrage here. And what's so ironic about this here is the very people that were longing for the Messiah longing to see and to behold the Messiah are the very ones who reject the Messiah and crucify the Messiah, the ones that have the Old Testament prophecies, that he'd be born in Bethlehem as Micah tells us, that he would come from the line of David as the prophet Jeremiah tells us, are the ones who hear him talk and say, no, it cannot be, and would crucify him. You see, they were looking for a royal king. They were not looking for a peasant carpenter born to this Teenage Mary. They, they were looking for a Messiah, but they were looking for a Messiah in their own image. They were looking for a Messiah as one who could be respectable, as one who had privilege, as one who was like them here. And so when Jesus came to his own, they rejected him. Many behold the light, but reject the light. Many will behold the gift of Jesus as creator, but reject him as creator. Many will behold the gift of Jesus as Messiah, but reject him as Messiah. Well, how then do we embrace this light? How then do we unwrap this gift? I'm so glad that you asked because John has no hesitation in answering your very question. In our same passage here, not only do we see the tragedy of spiritual rejection, but we gloriously see the gift of salvation. In verse 12 and 13, we're met with this wonderful conjunction that you don't have to go down the path of rejection. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Some misunderstood Jesus. Some downright rejected Jesus, but for 2,000 years, many have received Jesus. Of course, the religious leaders of Jesus' day rejected Jesus, but we, we, need, to, we need to make sure, we, we live in a day and age where there's been a sort of a, a, a rampant anti-Semitic uh, language that is going around. And we need to always be reminded that, that we are here in this very sanctuary because of the faithfulness of Jewish believers those who, who followed a, 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 a Jewish savior and ultimately the early church was filled with those ethnically who were Jewish, who looked upon the savior and embraced him. So of course we can point to the religious leaders, but the very central stories of the book of Acts were faithful Jewish followers of Jesus who pass us the baton of salvation. So we always, need to, we always need to reject that type of prejudice. We always need to make sure that's not a part of our own heart because it's not a part of our story as followers 
of Jesus Christ. But each of us, no matter our ethnic background, each of us that are here in the sanctuary, we stand at a fork and we behold the gift of the light of Jesus and we've got to decide We've got to decide, are we going to receive this gift or are we going to reject this gift? Every one of us stand at this fork and we, we do not have the option to abstain from deciding. We do not have the option to say, I need more evidence. And so when I get past this earth into eternity to come, then I'm going to decide. Then my friend is too late. We stand at the fork in the road and each of us as we behold the light that is before us in the Christmas season, in the story of Jesus, we must all make the decision, will I embrace or reject? Will I accept or run away from? Will I believe or will I disbelieve? Every one of us in the sanctuary, every human has the same predicament. We're all in, have the same problem. Every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and our sin separates us from God. So the gift of this light is the gift of salvation that shines upon all of us who are sinners. It is all of us who have sinned, and our sin separates us from a holy God. But the good news of the gospel, the good news of the Christmas story, is for all who did receive him and believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God. So the question this morning is, the most vital question that you have to ask, but more importantly answer is, how do I receive this gift? I mean, all of us in this room, we're selective in our gift giving. Even those who have more resources maybe than the other person there, not anyone in this very sanctuary is given a gift for every person that you know. I mean, there there is a, a limit within the resources to be able to give gifts to every person that we might know. In contrast to that, our Savior's well never runs dry. His resources are limitless. So the gift that our Savior offers is a gift that knows no ends. It knows no boundaries here. I see it here in my favorite word in this passage here, and it's easy to miss. It's only three letters, A-L-L. It's easy to miss it, but I want you to underline it. I want want you to circle it in your heart to understand that this is at the heart the most gracious of invitations. And this invitation, the light of Jesus, the salvation of Christ, it comes to all, to everyone, regardless of your class, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of your profession or your past or your proclivities, regardless of your habits now, your habits then, your hang-ups now, your hang-ups then, the light of Jesus does not discriminate. This is good news. It extends to the down and out and it extends to the down on their luck. It extends to the worn out and the burnt out and the beat down and the downtrodden. It extends to those who wish that they could rewind and redo some days in their life or some weeks in their life or years in their life. It extends his love, his light extends to those of you that are here in the sanctuary that are disillusioned and depressed. And it also extends to those of you that are overachievers and self-confident and self-reliant. All means all. All means everyone. That the light and the love of our Savior extends to you. It's a gift that you can behold that is before you, but it is also for you. 
I was six years old, celebrating my birthday at the house. My birthday is May the 26th. My youngest brother's birthday is May the 23rd, which meant on my six-year-old birthday, I had a gift of a younger brother who was brought home on my birthday. Six years old, it's exciting. Because the neighbors came to my house on my birthday. The, the extended family, I'm talking about third, fourth, fifth, I mean, they were there. These cousins were there. I hadn't seen them. And, and, and they came. And you know, there was this huge table with all of these gifts. And I was so excited that everybody came to my house on my birthday to bring me a gift until I went to the table and tried to open those gifts. And then I was told, those gifts are before you, but all of these gifts aren't for you. Poor David, right? (laughs) I got plenty, as you would imagine, but not everything that was before me was for me. And I want you to hear that the gift of Jesus is before us and it is for us. That the gift of Jesus, the gift of his light and the gift of his salvation, it is before you today and he is for you. His love and his light, it extends to you. Would you receive that gift or do you reject that gift? How do you receive the gift? It's interesting, that word it actually is a picture to welcome in. So you can imagine receiving means that that Jesus is sort of, he's knocking on your front door. And he's knocking on the front door of your heart and my heart, all, everyone. And as he knocks, we have a decision to make. If someone knocks on the door of your house, you've got a couple of decisions to make. You could say to the children, shh, Be very, very quiet. Maybe they'll go away. Or you can answer the door, but come to the doorway and and hold someone apart from the threshold of your house and you have a conversation to send them away moments later. Or you can hear that knock and open the door and welcome in the guest to your home. Jesus invites us to receive him, to welcome him in, to not ignore him and act as if the door, there's the, to act as if someone is uh, not there at the door of our heart or, or to, to come to him and politely talk with him. He invites us to, to let him in. Well, how do we let him in? How do we welcome him? How do we receive him? Well, again, if you look in the passage here, we have more light. We receive him by believing in his name. What does it mean to believe in his name? Well, if we put this together, first we receive Jesus by believing that he is God's son. We receive Jesus by believing that he is who he said he was and says he is. C.S. Lewis very famously in Mere Christianity, he gives before us three options. And I would add a, a fourth to that. For all of us that behold the light, 
for all of us that they hear of the gift of salvation, we have a decision to make. Will we treat Jesus as he knocks on our door as a liar? He isn't who he said he was. He isn't who he says he is. Or will we treat him as a lunatic? Well, he said all those things, but he's absolutely crazy. Or I would add, we could add to this another L word, which is a legend. So he's a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's a legend, a fairy tale, figment of, of, of people's imagination, or liar, lunatic, legend, or Lord. We receive Jesus by believing that he is God's son. That he isn't just a great moral teacher that is sent to enlighten us or to educate us. Or that he isn't just this great heroic inspiration who shows us the power of human will and what a person would endure to show love. No, he's not just a moral inspiration. We read 1 John chapter 4, which reminds us we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We receive Jesus by believing that he is who he says he is. Secondly, we receive Jesus by trusting in him alone as our Savior. It's interesting because we stand at this fork in the road beholding the gift of the light, but we want to add to this fork some side roads. We want to say trust or not trust. But also, we might want to say, well, there's got to be some other ways to experience the salvation that Jesus is offering. Maybe we can experience that same gift by by just being really good people. Or we might receive that same gift by, by being from the right family. That if our parents really love Jesus and our grandparents really love Jesus, then of course we've received him. Of course we've welcomed him in. And notice John says, not so fast. You're going down these wrong ways here. Verse 13, you're a child of the most high God who were born not of blood. There are no grandchildren in the family of God. What do I mean by that? They're only children in the sense that your parents' decision doesn't become automatic for you. You personally must receive. You personally must believe. You personally must welcome him in. So it's not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man. What is he saying there? It's not by your might. It's not by your good works. It's not by you calculating, I'm such a good person that I have this weight of goodness that is going to outweigh the deeds of darkness. And in the end, my goodness will get me into the favor of God. And John tells us no. We stand the fork with nothing to bring. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, for there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There's one way, and that way is a person who is the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus. So as you stand before him as a follower of Christ, the very words of that 
great hymn, Rock of Ages, should be the theme of your heart and my heart. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling, neck to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace, foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. So we receive We receive Jesus by believing that he is God's son. We receive Jesus by trusting in him alone as our savior. And finally, we receive Jesus by submitting to him as Lord. As we receive him and believe upon him, we believe upon him as we bend our knees to him in submission. We open the door of our heart to him, not as a a special guest who's going to stay with us for two to three hours and we're gonna send on his way, It's not a guess that we say, hey, you've got access to this bathroom and you've got access to this living room and you've got access to this kitchen here, but none of the rest of my house is open to you. No, as we open to him by faith, ultimately he comes in not as a special guest, but he comes as one who is going to move in and take up residence and he comes with schematics and plans to renovate the home of your heart. So he's got plans to transform us, to make us look more like him. So as we believe in him, receive him, we receive him as Lord and we submit to him and say, your way will be my way. Your will, my will. So we stand at the fork of the road, saved or lost, believers or unbelievers to receive or to reject. The gift that is before you is the gift that is for you. He stands at the door where you let him in. Receive him and believe. Let us pray.